You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, April 22nd, 2022. Happy Earth Day, everybody. This year marks its 52nd anniversary. Plant a cannabis plant today. This is episode number 264. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. We love our audience. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about Mike Tyson in the news yet again new jersey begins adult use with a bang a new york bill gives tax breaks to dispensaries why federal legalization is going up in smoke a plan to let california cultivators sell direct to consumers pets and cannabis and many other frosty nuggets so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the state of cannabis news hour the following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Before we start today, I want to give you an update on the Florida bride story from yesterday. If you missed it, a bride and a caterer were arrested because they infused some food, uh, some of the food without the knowledge of the guests. That story has gone viral. Lawmakers and prohibitionists are going to use this story to demonize the plant and the industry. So just a reminder, don't do dumb shit. So kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Oh, yeah, so... Mine's a doozy. Mike Tyson, water bottle incident behind airplane punch attack. This one came out by TMZ Sports first. So in a story first reported by TMZ News, former boxing champion and current cannabis industry executive Mike Tyson punched a fellow first-class passenger 
aboard a Florida-bound flight Wednesday. Tyson was on a JetBlue flight from San Francisco to Miami en route to speaking at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in, my, uh, in Miami with wrestling re- legend Ric Flair, where the two were scheduled to promote their new partnership under Tyson 2.0. The celebrity cannabis entrepreneur's reps claimed the violence was response to a man aggressively throwing a water bottle at him. Video of the incident has been making its way around social media, showing the recipient of said iron fists, and it's pretty much what you'd expect. The man's traveling companion filmed the incident and can be heard laughing while giving play-by-play commentary as his clearly intoxicated buddy antagonized the former heavyweight champ seated quietly in front of him. We then see action see an action sequence of Tyson delivering repeated jabs to the troll's midsection. The video then jump cuts to a close-up of ungrateful recipient of legendary hands, bloodied and frowning. Officials told TMZ Sports SFPD responded 10 p.m. to a physical altercation on a plane at the airport's domestic terminal. SFPD is quoted in the article saying officers arrived and detained two subjects that were believed to be involved in the incident. One subject was treated at the scene for non-life-threatening injuries. That subject provided minimal details of the incident and refused to cooperate further with the police investigation. Both were released pending further investigation, and the viral clip's been shared with San Mateo County Sheriff's Office, which has jurisdiction over the airport. Tyson's team put out a statement Thursday. Unfortunately, Mr. Tyson had an incident on a flight with an aggressive passenger who began harassing him and threw a water bottle at him while he was in his seat. No footage has surfaced of the alleged water bottle thrown at Tyson, probably because it was filmed by the human punching bag's friend. And that's evidence. However, another passenger, Sarah Birchfield, told TMZ before the flight she saw the man at, at an airport bar loud and quarrelsome. When I boarded the flight, I thought, oh, no, that drunk guy is on our flight. The belligerent drunk guy was sitting right behind him, and I saw that they were interacting. And then what we all saw happened. <laughs> Less than 24 hours later, Thursday night, Iron Mike was seen at Club Live in Miami with Ric Flair, the nature boy, at the Fountain Blue Uh, at La Fountain Blue, Miami Beach, pumping fists on stage like the South Beach spring break party boys they really are at heart. Listen, we're going to take this thing to another level in life, Tyson said on stage. I'm the world champion, and now I'm the world champion of cannabis, and we can't be stopped. Look at us. Thousands of people looking at us. We're getting high. This is beautiful. He took a drag of the blunt that he had on stage. Look at me, baby. Look at how beautiful I look up here. Well... There you have it. Mike Tyson beating down feller, fellow airline passengers and selling legal weed with Ric Flair. 2022, what a time to be alive. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd love to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this one. I think that guy needs to sell infused uh, bottles of water. I'd like to give Melvin Townsend the Dumbass of the Year award. I think he got exactly what he was looking for up there. And the biggest travesty of the, travesty of the whole story is that Mike Tyson doesn't travel like Jason Beck on a private jet. Real talk. Hey, that, those are all facts because if it was a PJ, that definitely wouldn't happen. And if it did happen, uh, then no one would have known about it. But uh, n- <laughs> nonetheless, on that, um, R- Rico, I-, I saw in some reports uh, some uh, in a few different places that, that this guy was also uh, uh, calling Mike Tyson some racial slurs. Is-, is that factual information or is that fake news? It hasn't been confirmed yet. And I haven't seen it on um, on video. The person that was filming the guy, which is his friend, um, I didn't see pictures of him. Um, I don't know if he was um, um, booked as well, but um, he did drop an N-bomb while he was recording 
um, the, the video. I didn't see the man saying that. Um, all we saw was a, a chopped up video. Uh, we didn't see the water bottle thrown that was cut out. And um, yeah, it was, I was, I was, I was, I was reserving judgment on the whole thing until more facts came out. Um, and I was like, I, I don't know what the fuck happened. But after the police report says these two gentlemen were refusing to even cooperate, it just it looks like he they did get what they deserved, or the the dude who got uh, knocked the fuck out did. Yeah, no, I totally I totally think that he totally got exactly what he deserved. He was, I was watching the video and he was totally antagonizing Tyson for for no reason and just being a total disgruntled uh, uh, passenger. And I'm honestly really surprised in the in the uh, in the in the airline and, and the stewards and stewardesses that they didn't uh, try to have him detained on, on the flight prior to Mike Tyson whooping his ass. Right. Um, if the story does check out, I don't see why. Mike Tyson wouldn't sue the airline uh, for even letting this guy on the plane and all that shit happen. Well, I know, Rico, you're actually reporting from a TMZ link, and unfortunately, Clubhouse doesn't support that link. So in trying to find the same link, I could see that there's a few other stuff that came up uh, with this guy having a criminal record, potentially. And so it looks like there's a lot more to come. Can't wait. Yeah. Did you see his face afterwards? He had so many ooey knots all over his face. Yeah, man. Well, that's the thing. The uh, um, old boy that was filming him get uh, received the beat down. He just cut a huge portion out of that video, probably of uh, when uh, he threw the bottle at him. But um, all you see is Mike Tyson throwing uh, throwing hands at this dude, and then it cuts to you know his face like all lumped up. <laughs> she looks those, crazy. Those are Uwe, Uwe Knox, Rico. He, Uwe he Knox. looks like he looks like Soda Popinski. Have you have you ever never heard of a Uwe Knox? I don't know what a ooey knot is. That I got ooh ooh ooey knot because every time you rub it, you're like ooh wee ooh wee. <laughs> Omar, you're you're unmuted. Did you want to weigh in? Yeah, to me, this was mutual combat, and this all happened in San Mateo County with one of the most vicious prosecution uh, policies in the state. A lot of people don't realize San Francisco International Airport is actually located in San Mateo County. So there's everybody's lucky that there's probably not going to be a case out of this. And, um, you know, for Mike Tyson, it would have made uh, more notoriety and more publicity. And, you know, I, I don't like this trend that we see that public figures get away with hitting people in public. Um, and I just think it's just something that uh, should not even be up for question. Like you shouldn't be people should not be like hitting each other in public. And I say this as somebody uh, who practices jujitsu. Like, you know, I, I think punching people is inelegant way to solve problems and especially an inelegant way to fight. I don't, Rico, I think uh, I think he was listening. Mike Tyson was listening to LL Cool J's uh, "Mama Said Knock You Out" while he was on the plane. I believe I believe so, and he caught a flashback and just took this dude <laughs> back to 1991. And wasn't there some talk that someone uh, on this plane was on mushrooms or tried handing somebody some mushrooms or something like that? Yeah, early on in the video, if you listen to the the, the video clip, uh, the guy who is filming it. He says, like, oh, my buddy just tried to give Mike Tyson some shrooms. <laughs> I mean, the guy's the guy is a former heavyweight champion. He should really think hard before he starts punching anyone. I think it's it, whether he deserved it or not, you know, that, that guy was outgunned and he was drunk. And 
I wish Mike Tyson would be a better leader for the cannabis industry, but let's keep on moving. Real, 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 quick, real, real quick, Susan, uh, on that before we move on, um, I, I did want to say that that's a form of privilege is, is a young white dude antagonizing the fuck out of a black celebrity thinking nothing's going to happen. Play stupid games, win stupid fucking prizes. Just saying. So, Susan, you think he, he should have got slapped instead of punched? I think that it, Mike Tyson should have let the personnel on the airplane handle the situation. I mean, at least he didn't bite his ear off. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's, we're going to keep smoking the news. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times and surviving the drama of the past few decades, he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in the United States. What's your headline today, Jason? Oh, good morning, Susan. Thank you so much. Today, my story, and I've never covered one of these before, but this is actually an opinion piece, so I want to make that disclaimer ahead of time before I start this, this story. Um, I, I covered this because this was in MSNBC, and, I, and the headline really caught my eye. And today, the headline is, Chuck Schumer's marijuana bill is looking like a pipe dream. Wednesday marks another April 20th where cannabis aficionados are forced to contend with a patchwork of state and local laws with varying degrees of tolerance for the drug. This month, the House for the second time passed legalization that would legitimize cannabis throughout the country. As a relatively recent convert to the cause, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, is still keeping the faith that his chamber will soon follow suit. But looking at the challenges he's facing, I'm forced to ask, what is Schumer smoking on? The dichotomy between what the public wants and what federal law restricts makes less and less sense as time goes on. The dissonance is is both a political and a a practical limitation on the burgoing legal cannabis industry and more philosophically an erosion of the supremacy of federal authority over state law. Schumer is working on his own proposal, which he first announced last year. The draft, the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, better known as CAOA, runs along the same lines as the Moore Act. But Schumer and his co-drafters, Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat from Oregon, and Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, are hoping to craft a bill that will get buy-in from their full caucus. That's looking trickier than you might assume given the popularity of reform measures. At least two Democratic senators, Janine Sheehan of New Hampshire and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, have expressed skepticism about full legalization given the likelihood of a Republican filibuster that would require Schumer to get at least 12 GOP votes to move forward any comprehensive bill. Sorry to be a buzzkill, but we've seen how well that strategy has worked on issues like voting rights and police reform and the outreach that would be needed to actually make the case to Republican senators has been limited, according to MJ Biz Daily, which reports on the business of cannabis. Schumer originally hoped to, to introduce the latest version of this bill by the end of the month. Now the timeline has slipped back to sometime before August recess. Marijuana Moment reported, which doesn't uh, exactly inspire hope that this is a top priority, there are slightly better odds for getting a narrower bill known as the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act 
better known as safe safe banking, past safe banking to President Joe Biden's desk. The SAFE Act would finally give banks a federal green light to work with dispensaries in states with legal weed, which has hindered the ability of licensed businesses to operate, as well as social equity applicants and able to apply for loans. Like the Moore Act, this bill has passed the House multiple times, but in this case, it has passed on a bipartisan basis, and encouragingly, the Senate version has nine GOP co-sponsors on board. So it's actually realistic to get something done with this. The issue I'm emphasizing with Senator Schumer, I think, is a unifying issue, says Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican from Alaska. There is also a safety issue. The way businesses have to carry around tens of thousands of dollars in cash because they can't bank is really dangerous, he says. That sounds like a solid first step that's worth talking, but it's a policy shift that would benefit businesses more than people, which has me hesitant to fully back the SAFE Act as a, as a standalone bill. Schumer has, has, has likewise been cool on any bill that doesn't deal with the legacy of the racist intent behind America's drug laws. The result, though, is that versions of the SAFE Act and other smaller reforms have been stripped out of multiple spending packages, including the most recent Defense Opportunities and Appropriations Bill and the Omnibus Government Funding Bill that passed last month. I understand Schumer's desire to wrap all of the issues surrounding marijuana into one package, but to be blunt, despite the clear need for reforms, any chance of comprehensive legislation bill passing the Senate is looking more and more and more like a pipe dream every day. And I honestly couldn't agree with this op-ed writer. Um, He's really on point with this article. I hope everyone checks it out. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Jason, do you think this midterm election is going to be a bigger turnout than normal because of this? Because of weed? Well, um, because of a lot of issues, but yeah, because of... No. Yeah. No. Not a chance. Okay. Not because of weed. Uh, I agree with uh, this writer as well. I'm sure you all realize. Um, I do think there is room to turn Joe Manchin uh, because West Virginia has been working on building up uh, their cannabis efforts there, especially on the hemp side. I think that someone could make the argument to get Joe Manchin to go the way. I don't think Shaheen of New Hampshire is going anywhere near uh, flipping for cannabis. So, uh, so Schumer's still going to be without the votes he needs on the, on the Dem side. So could we consider this bill more of a, a pinner as far as vote, vote count? Sure. But we're moving on. He saw an industry full of folks on both sides of the aisle seeming to aim lower and lower. That's when this dope dad decided he'd had enough and was hitting the high road. Based in Austin, Texas, the host and co-creator of a new show with Sensi Mag, coming to the stage next, Stone Slade. What you got for us today, my man? Thank you, Rico. Today, my story, I picked it up from Mike Catalini at the Associated Press. Last week, the state of New Jersey made two very big announcements regarding legal cannabis in the state. First, Attorney General Matthew Platkin announced that the New Jersey police officers will be allowed to purchase and consume cannabis once it's officially and legally for sale, followed by Democratic Governor Phil Murphy stating that state regulators had cleared the way for adult use sales in seven alternative treatment centers that had already offered medical cannabis. Those seven centers operate 13 facilities across the state and officially began selling adult use cannabis on 420. 
Supporters of adult use in the state have been waiting for this since November of 2020 when voters in New Jersey overwhelmingly approved a referendum to legalize adult use cannabis. And this comes as, as a bit of a surprise because even with the support of the governor, it was just a month ago, the New Jersey uh, Cannabis Regulatory Commission halted a move to allow existing medical cannabis dispensaries to start selling adult use weed, citing complaints that they would hurt patients dealing with exorbitant prices and low supply. At that time, Jeff Brown, the commissioner's, uh, the commission's executive director, stated the market is short about 100,000 pounds of marijuana to meet the demands of medical and recreational consumers. Now, I'm not sure what changed since then or if 100,000 pounds of weed magically appeared, but the state was able to get these dispensaries operational about a year ahead of schedule. The shops that were approved to participate in the state's adult use sales program have seen a steady uh, stream of longtime cannabis consumers, medical patients, and novelty seekers over the last few days. Hattie Batiste, 47, is a Navy veteran and medical marijuana cardholder for his post-traumatic stress disorders, said that uh, he's a regular at Zinleaf and he's never seen the location as busy as it was this past Thursday. Batiste also said that New Jersey's recreational cannabis law gives priority status to people of color, a fact that will help knock down brick walls people have faced for years during the war on drugs. It's about time that minorities, people of color, black people, brown people actually have a chance to get in the business. I love this for New Jersey. Um, I love this for, for legal cannabis in America. And to get a little firsthand knowledge of the excitement going on in the Garden State, I want to check in with the man that knows everything in New Jersey, the beast from the east, the Urban Leaf uh, from Urban Leaf Enterprises, Cincy Magazine's New Jersey market director, Carlos de Boslos. Tell us about the first three days of legal weed in New Jersey, my friend. Oh, man, it's a crazy time right now and here in Jersey. Uh, good evening to all of you guys uh, on the panel. Uh, I can tell you that officially it, it started at, at 8 this in the morning on Thursday, but the line started at midnight on Wednesday. So at midnight on Wednesday, we, we physically here at our store had customers lining up waiting uh, anxiously to be one of the first to buy recreational cannabis here. Um, most of the ATCs, uh, they were smart. They kept two lines, one for the patients, one for the rec, and they always served the patients first. Uh, we honestly thought cannabis would be uh, closing early yesterday as a lack of cannabis uh, in the state, but we, we've been able to manage, and, and it's a great time, man. I had one customer come into our store, spent like $700 because he's 70 years old, and he never thought he'd live to see the day that he'd walk into a cannabis uh, dispensary and purchase actual legal products here in the state. So it's been a great time. The the momentum is very high here in on the Jersey side. So that's a little bit of what's going on here in New Jersey, guys. What did what did he buy, Carlos? He bought one of everything that was on the menu. Spent about seven hundred dollars just because of the the you know momentum that's going on here. That is amazing. He's going to have a party. He sure is. Him and his wife. I hope he's back tomorrow to buy the same. Yeah, it's a great time right now in Jersey. The momentum is real high. We've got Menica up from the audience, too. Menica, did you want to weigh in? Well, hello. I just wanted to say hello after a very long time off Clubhouse because I've been working in the industry, as you know, here in Canada. And some of us just had to take a breather. But I would just like to say I posted all of the events from our Canadian legislature. I have Compassion Club uh, right now. Sorry about that. That was not on topic. Anybody else want to weigh in on the New Jersey story? I just want to thank you, Carlos, for uh, for joining us, and thank you, Governor Murphy. And uh, with legal accessible weed, I now have no reason to not go visit my mother-in-law in Stone Harbor, New Jersey. So uh, props to that. <laughs> or does it just make it easier to visit your mother-in-law? That's Stone what I meant. And hey, I'm totally kidding. Nancy, I love you if you're listening. Uh, you know I love you. Oh. 
Hold on, real quick. Stone. She's from Stone Harbor, New Jersey. Yeah, coincidence. <laughs> and your name is Stone. Hey, and you guys get stoned. Jersey gets a lot of a lot of shit, but I gotta say that Stone Harbor area. There's got there's some beautiful parts of that state, and uh, I'm just happy happy that they were able to get this going ahead uh, of schedule. Love it. Troy, did you want to weigh in before we move on? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Susan. Hey, Carlos. Great seeing you. Great seeing the success. We've been uh, working with you for a while. And uh, my question to you is, uh, your particular license is, I know you're working with the equity. Was Is it a particular equity uh, license that you attained or what? So we, we've applied for full vertical uh, grow in New Jersey, as well as dispensing. Same thing in New York City. Awesome. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you, brother. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Thank you so much for that, Stone. Coming up next. It's Gretchen Gailey. This feisty redheaded conservative proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by the pot loving libs across the aisle. The founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider, as well as my partner in crime on lobbying for safe banking. Coming up to this next stage next, it's Gretchen Gailey. Uh, thank you, Jason. Back. Uh, my story is also coming out of uh, New Jersey. Uh, whoever thought that the Garden State would get so much love? Uh, this one uh, is a bit more focused on the governor's uh, response and uh, his joy uh, in the opening of adult use sales. Headline comes from Marijuana Moment. New Jersey governor celebrates adult use marijuana sales launch while acknowledging delays. The governor of New Jersey on Thursday marked the launch of the state's adult use marijuana market, uh, speaking at an event of one of the first retailers to begin serving recreational consumers. He said, I know a lot of New Jerseyans have been waiting for today, including yours truly. This is a moment I'm incredibly proud to see us get to. Uh, New Jersey voters approved a legalization referendum on the ballot in 2020, and stakeholders have been eagerly awaiting the implementation of regulations that the legislature enacted last year. Now, 13 existing medical cannabis dispensaries are open for business for adult consumers. Uh, Governor Murphy acknowledged the protracted implementation, stressing that regulators have prioritized ensuring that the state's marijuana industry is equitable and supports communities most impacted by criminalization. He said while this task could not happen overnight, the overriding need was to ensure our industry could stand as a model for other states in the nation, not just ensuring racial, social, and economic equity and justice, but in ensuring a viable long-term framework for the industry at large. He said, today's launch of adult use sales is an important milestone. Today is the start of an entirely new industry in our state. We all must remember that this is not the end of a journey. This is just the beginning. We still have a long way to go before this industry fully develops into an industry that will create many new good-paying jobs. He also added that we remain committed to ensuring that the industry grows in a way that reflects the diversity of our state and offers opportunities for any New Jerseyan who wishes to be a part of the legal adult-use cannabis industry. Uh, the New Jersey Cannabis Regulatory Commission, who is overseeing it, was initially expected to approve a first round of adult use retail licenses for uh, certain existing dispensaries last month, but they temporarily decided against it. The commissioners separately gave conditional approval to 68 marijuana cultivators and manufacturers last month. They said, we expect 13 locations for the entire state will make for extremely busy stores. The dispensaries have assured us that they are ready to meet the demand without disrupting patient access and with minimal impact on the surrounding communities, but patience will be a key to a good opening day. Uh, on a side note, U.S. Rep. Donald Payne uh, 
uh, criticized New Jersey regulators about their diversity issues in the marijuana market, saying he's outraged over the lack of minority representation in the industry. Uh, With respect to equity in the market, Governor Murphy has recently touted that the courts have expunged more than 362,000 marijuana cases uh, since July 1st, uh, when a decriminalization law uh, first took effect that mandated the relief uh, for people who have been caught up in the prohibition enforcement. Um, We've been talking a lot about New Jersey for the past few minutes, so I will just extend my wishes for, you know, a good market. Uh, I hope that they can get their shit together. 13 locations seems ridiculous, uh, ridiculously small. Um, and I hope that they can get this up and running a bit faster. This Gretchen for State of Canvas News Hour. Yeah, Gretchen, thanks for that story. And, you know, uh, I- I'm excited. I just want to give a shout out. There are more dispensaries coming. My nephew scored a license after three years of waiting in Trenton. So shout out to Frank Bucko, my nephew, and his CEO, Matt Kutch. And their operation is called Woe flow because they're hitting that flow and you know i'm so proud of those young gentlemen you know ushering in the next generation of cannabis all of them are you know just about less than 30 or 30 years old and you know picking up where we all are leaving off kind of thing so i'm really happy to see what's going on in jersey yep garden state on earth day awesome i'm gonna do a quick uh relight you are tuned in to the state of cannabis news hour your daily dose the thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Did you know that the State of Cannabis News Hour's reach goes far beyond the greater continental U.S.? It's true. We've got worldwide live audience members and active downloads as far away as the United Arab Emirates, Japan, even China. China. I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. 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 But also many other places. By becoming a sponsor, you can get your company the global marketing exposure you won't find anywhere else while supporting nonprofit cannabis news. Find out how you can support the State of Cannabis News Hour at www.justsaycare.org. Tell them Rico sent you. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. He's the founder of a boutique cannabis law firm with offices in California and New York. NCIA director, a legal publisher and author whose 2022 California Cannabis Laws and Regulations was just released, a ganjier in purple belt and high-style Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The one thing our next correspondent doesn't do is fuck around. Omar Figueroa, happy Friday. What you got for us today? Thank you, Rico. Happy Earth Day, Terrence. My story is from omarfigueroa.com by yours truly, and the headline is... Proposed legislation would allow California cultivators to sell directly to consumers at cannabis farmers markets. On Tuesday, April 26, craft cultivators from all across California will rally in Sacramento in support of Assembly Bill 2691. This proposed legislation would allow licensed cultivators with less than one acre to sell direct to consumers at farmers markets and other licensed cannabis events by creating a temporary cultivator event retail license. The bill would require the Department of Cannabis Control to issue this new type of license to a licensed cultivator who cultivates no more than of cannabis total with a maximum of 12 temporary cultivator event retail licenses issued to each licensed cultivator per calendar year. 
Next Tuesday's hearing on AB 2691 will take place at 9.30 a.m. in the Assembly Committee on Business and Professions, located in Sacramento. For more information, please click on the links in the article. AB 2691 is summarized in the digest prepared by the Legislative Council, which states, this bill would require the Department of Canada's Control to issue temporary cultivator event retail licenses that authorize the license holder to sell cannabis or cannabis products containing cannabis cultivated only by that licensee at cannabis events in the state. The bill would authorize a licensee who holds a valid state cultivation license and a valid license permit or other authorization for cannabis cultivation issued by a local jurisdiction and who cultivates no more than one acre of cannabis to apply for a temporary cultivator event retail license. The bill would require a temporary cultivator event retail licensee to comply with requirements imposed on cannabis retailers. The bill would specify that a temporary cultivator event retail license is valid only for the specific cannabis event for which it was issued and would limit the number of temporary licenses issued to each licensee to 12 per calendar year. The Origins Council, a coalition of regional cannabis trade associations across the Golden State, issued a call to action yesterday which states, North Coast Legislator Assemblymember Jim Wood has introduced critical legislation to offer a lifeline to our legacy farming community in crisis. Assembly Bill 2691 proposes to create a temporary retailer license type to authorize direct-to-consumer marketing and sales for small producers at up to 12 locally approved temporary cannabis events per year. The bill is co-authored by Senators McGuire, Laird, and Stone and Assemblymember Rivas. On Tuesday morning, we will gather again at the State Capitol, 1021 O Street, Room 1100 at 9.30 a.m. for a show of unity and strength in support of AB 2691. We need to fill the chambers and fight for this bill. For those of you who cannot join us in person, please tune in to the Assembly Business and Professions Committee video or audio live stream. Please call in and voice your support. Stay tuned for more on the future of AB 2691. It's a critical lifeline to craft cultivators, which would allow direct-to-consumer sales at up to a dozen locally approved temporary cannabis events per year. The bill, the bill would also revolutionize the events landscape by driving a transformation of cannabis events into true farmers markets where consumers can interact directly with and buy from the growers themselves. Uh, my take is that direct-to-consumer is the pathway. On that note, the Mendocino Producers Guild is hosting a cannabis and artisanal producers market tomorrow from 10 to 4 in Laytonville. Check it out to see what the future of cannabis farmers markets looks like. The headline is proposed legislation would allow California cultivators to sell directly to consumers at cannabis farmers markets. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, Ganjie instructor, Reporting from Sonoma County, the gateway to the Emerald Triangle for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I have so many questions. Omar, well, first of all, what are the odds that this is going to pass? It's getting tremendous support. You know, there's going to be a lot of people in Sacramento on Tuesday. So 
I think it depends on how strong the opposition is. And hopefully the United Cannabis Business Association will not oppose it this time. Um, you know, I think that retailers are afraid of competition, but that's why the limit on events is there so that, you know, that these events are going to be rare, but it's the lifeline that cultivators need. And how will yeah, the taxes be handled? Sorry, Gia. Just like everything else, just like regular taxes. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, this is awesome. This is what the farmers needed. They need to have an ability to monetize their own product because otherwise they will get crushed under the wheel. It's also a way that we get quality, healthy competition coming from the farm level of real flour, fresh flowers that you can see. This is what we've all been waiting for. So I hope this passes. Omar, we land on uh, Tuesday in San Francisco uh, early in the afternoon. We're going to drive right over because, like, yeah, this and there's a couple other bills that are being discussed that just have to pass. It's baby steps, but this is a big one. You know, all our farmers in Humboldt, like the folks in all the folks in the Emerald Triangle and all small farmers, especially those who've been relegated, like in Trinity County, to one acre, desperately need this. Rico, uh, or excuse me, uh, um, Omar, is is there going to be, is this still going to have to be as consumer packaged good or are they going to allow for a deli style format? Uh, within no, the just the regular consumer packaged goods, not deli format. I would love to see deli format actually. Same. Same. Um, thank you, Guy, for your comments. Uh, as a cultivator in Trinity County, this is a very necessary thing. It's going to be difficult for us. As you can all imagine, it's hard for us to get away from our farms, uh, much less get into packaging, get into all this fun stuff, plus the taxes on top of everything. So, um, you know, I think it's a great idea. I think it needs to be ironed out better. Um, I think that the small cultivators need a break. I don't necessarily think this is the break that's going to get us out from underneath the wheels of big industry, but nonetheless... Any baby step is is a step in the right direction. And thanks to everybody behind this bill, thanks to everybody who's voting for this bill and showing up at the um, <coughs> excuse me, showing up at the Capitol and doing the work that some of us farmers cannot do. Um, I've definitely written my letter in. I've definitely made my phone calls. This is a very important issue. Um, please, everybody who is in California, shit, if you're not in California, excuse my language, please call. You can do it, too. Um, we need this push. It's a push in the right direction for the whole country because all small cultivators are suffering right now, every single last one of us. Some of us are lucky to be here. I can tell you that at least, at least half the cultivators that have been cultivating some of the best medical cannabis for the last 20 years of your guys' existence have shut down because they cannot sustain in this bullshit environment that's been created for us. Thank you for your time. We hey, love Steven. our farmers. Steve, if you, uh, you know, if this happens, I will definitely figure out how Pop and Barkley opens up manufacturing space for local farmers to, you know, rent out and we'll make sure it's, you know, fair and equitable price where you guys can come in, bring your flour and package it if you need that manufacturing space. I would be honored to do that for the farmers of any small farmer that can make it to our facility. That's awesome, Guy. We really appreciate it. That is amazing. I, I look forward to uh, working with you, Guy. You're, you've, you've, you've been a, a, 
pushing force in this industry for quite a while. And uh, as 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 to everybody here up on the stage, thank you for um, hosting. Thank you for having us, and thank you for um, bringing all this news to our attention. It's very important. We love our farmers. I wanted to hear from Sam, but Sam, it looks like you're on the phone. Uh, any last words on this before? We, there we go. Sam. Go yeah, ahead. the thing was glitched out. I got a phone call coming in, but I didn't take it, and it was just glitched. But, uh, yeah, I want to let this go, um, you know, because I don't want to spend too much time on this topic. But uh, I do sit as a regional chair on the regional council of the Origins Council based out of Sonoma County myself. And uh, we will be having a screening of Ladybuds on the 25th um, and direct action uh, where we can speak to support this bill on the 26th, Tuesday morning at 9.30 a.m. in the business and professions hearing um, this uh, event, um, the screening of Ladybuds on the 25th, which is an amazing movie if you're not able to make Sacramento which I please emphasize anybody that's that's behind supporting farmers and the legacy and the equity communities. Like it's very important that we uh, support a bill like this because this is like, you know, 12 sales per year. Yeah. We're getting some pushback from retail, but it's like, why? I mean, you got 365 days a year, you can sell cannabis and you're going to squash, you know, these small farmers that need some direct sales. So we're really very passionate about this. Um, and we've got a lot of great traction. Uh, Jim Wood introduced it for us. He's co-hosting the screening of Ladybuds. Senator John Laird will be there as long as well as uh, Mia Bonta. Um, Mia Bonte, I should say. Um, and yeah, that's that's really all I have to say. But please show up in SAC if you can and rally support. Uh, it'll be a fun time. And uh, tickets are for sale on the Origins Council. Uh, link in their bio, I believe, in my Instagram bio as well. I was just adding it this morning. I can't remember if I finished or not. It's it's in it's in Omar's um, oh yeah article. So click on the link at the top of the the stage. Everyone, click on that link and go into Omar's article, and you can find all the links. And you guys, please and do share it on your social media. Make some noise. Make yeah. some noise, everybody. Share it, share it, Susan, share I would I would also add, you guys, retailers and Jason, support me on this. Retailers need to come out and support this. Flowers the largest category. You're gonna lose. You're not gonna lose anything. Most people go to dispensaries for value add and sales. I think most folks already know that it's booth cannabis in dispensaries. You can't even see it in the jar. Sell some goddamn cannabis. Thank you, Gee. Yeah, no, I, I, Thank I, you, I, Gee. I, 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 I'm with you, Gee, on that. I do, I, I do support this bill. I do worry though um, for these small farmers that 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 that. Um, by them doing this is going to push them out of more retail shops because, you know, in the direct-to-consumer model, it's definitely going to be uh, cheaper than what it would be at a retail level when you're pur- purchasing directly from the from the farmer. And I just uh, worry that they're actually going to be shooting themselves in the foot to spite their face uh, with this in the long term as more and more retailers with uh, will cut their Cut, cut these brands off on, on the shelf space uh, in spite of them doing direct to consumer. If they do that, if farmers, if you find that happening, let us know and we will shame those retailers. Shame on them. Yeah, I well, think that's just business, Susan. You can't shame those retailers like that. That's just business. For not, I think the yeah. marketing done correctly in partnership with retail can actually drive more retail sales across the shelves because farmers can only sell that once per month. So it's like, you know, they need smart retailers should be partnering with those. And share the story of the small farmers. Yes. All right. All right. Enough of Boof Outdoor Week. (laughs) Coming up next, we have 
Christopher Smith. He's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. Citizens from his home planet call him Clark Kent. While flying high on the earth, he's known to the public as Superman, but we all know his secret identity is Christopher Smith. What you got for us today, Chris? Good morning, Jason. Thank you very much. Good morning, Susan and Rico. My story today is from an article in The Guardian from the UK. Uh, Thank you for the direct consumer tip-in. Something similar is happening in New York in advance of their regulation regime. Move over, Giuliani. How loopholes sparked a golden age of cannabis in New York. Uh, It's the headline of the article. So possession and consumption of cannabis has been legal in New York for almost a year, but there are no legal dispensaries where you can buy it. Uh, The weirdness of the timing of the rollout of the New York program is causing some strange, almost comical solutions. Uh, There's a mobile dispensary in New York called the Green Truck, like a roach coach for weed. Uh, For the past few months, anyone visiting Cat's Deli down in Lower East Side of Manhattan is famous for its role in When Harry Met Sally. I'll I'll have what she's having. Uh, As it is for its pastrami has queued near a green painted food truck, strategically parked on Houston Street to capture Cat's foot traffic, adorned with multicolored LED signage advertising the city's, city's latest hot delicacy. Wow, that was tougher than I thought. Uh, cannabis, 60 bucks will get you an eighth. The strains are show on a, shown on a dry erase board on each truck, and business is so good that if you go to green, thegreentruck.com, you'll see that there are eight trucks in locations around Manhattan and one near Brooklyn Heights. And The $60 is technically a donation now, so even when a police car is parked directly behind the green truck, as was mentioned in the article, Johnny Law won't do anything, nor if you smoke on the street. The state anticipates it will have a demand between $3.7 and $5.8 billion. Uh, Annually, it doesn't expect to have its licensing scheme together until the fall of this year. But in the meantime, the weed business is on fire. Milton Washington, who's been selling weed for 15 years, plans to transition his current, if you know, you know, style cannabis speakeasy to a licensed consumption lounge. Along with sommelier-level curation, the lounge will host a cannabis center and unapologetically black fitness and wellness exercise that he calls Rock Mill. And in the meantime, he's just running his business right out of his 19th century brownstone in Washington Heights. Increasingly competitive delivery services paste QR-activated menus on bus stops, bike shares, and subway ads with discounted and even free weed to entice new customers or referrals. There are pop-up sessions almost every night of the week. Upscale restaurants are advertising cannabis-infused dinner dinners or brunches. Members-only clubs and lounges advertise memberships and screen applicants on Instagram. Uh, And smoke shops openly selling cannabis are popping up to fill a previously emptied retail space in the outer boroughs. It's not all quite... It's all not quite legal, and the state has started to send out cease and desist letters, which they claim will reflect badly on people's license applications when they're available. So, quote, either you risk a future license by building a brand and following now, or you sit back and wait for a permit and risk everything, risk losing everything to the Chads and Brads. Those are the well-capitalized white entrepreneurs with no cannabis background, but traditional business acumen and political connections who've executed what amounts to a hostile takeover of the cannabis industry in other states. That's according to Louis Cantillo and Byron Bronson, co-founders of Buddy's Bodega. 
Last bit is uh, outside the Big Apple, indigenous tribes have opened dispensaries already because they're independent nations. The Mohawk Nation, which is not going to answer to St. Regis' name anymore, as well as the Seneca, Cuyahoga Nations, they're operating upstate, while the Shinnecock Indian Nation has just opened Little Beach Harvest in the Hamptons, just in time for spring and summer break. Hope they all make bank while they can, build brands while they can, and get a piece of this whole New York thing. And I'm done speaking. Check out the article, everyone. I mean, it's it's wild what they're doing there. It's just, I was stunned. Green trucks everywhere, people smoking everywhere. I need to make a trip to New York. Yeah, you do. It's like Los Angeles in early 2017. <laughs> More like 2007. The booth? The booth? No, no, no. Just, just. Like how we had the the proliferation of weed stores everywhere throughout Los Angeles prior to any type of um, meaningful ordinances being in place to actually um, allow them to operate. They're kind of like uh, the booth. You said the booth. Booth. You gonna need a booth fest. We're kind of like uh, Oklahoma, uh, circa February. Um, I mean, I don't even think you can compare those two in that sense, mainly just due to the pure population size of the two different regions. I don't know if you guys can hear me because my app is glitching hardcore today. But in this article, I thought it was interesting that the one guy looks like he's sitting at like a table, like almost like he's eating lemonade, but he's selling cannabis. And the cop like says like, dude, are you still seriously selling that? Let's keep smoking the news. Liz, are we going to go to Liz? Are we going to try, uh, try Liz out? No, she's glitching too much. Uh, Shalina then Gee. Okay, let's do it. So she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. Her IG game, super lit. Her podcast game, super lit. But you guys really need to check it out. Shall we toke? Shalina Panu, what you got for us today? Thanks so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is It's Official WeHo Open Second Cannabis Consumption Lounge. As reported by Eater LA, a new cannabis consumption lounge has officially opened their doors to the public in West Hollywood nearly two years since Lowell's original cannabis cafe shut down during the pandemic. The Artist Tree Studio Cannabis Lounge is WeHo's second cannabis consumption lounge to open. The lounge itself sits on top of the Artist Tree Dispensary, which has been o- operating since 2019. This This is a rarity to have as they secured every possible license one can receive from West Hollywood officials. The Lowell's Cafe was only a dispensary and a lounge. However, the artistry secured delivery, medical and retail, as well as on-site consumption. The location is a tourist hotspot as it's located right on Santa Santa Monica Boulevard near La Cienega Boulevard. They began building this lounge a year ago once they secured all proper permits which had limitations on food and drinks. The current California regulation states that cannabis consumption lounges are not allowed to sell food or beverages on the premises. Back in 2019, when Lowell's was opening their lounge and in order to work around this regulation, they rezoned their 20,000 square foot lot into three different sections as such. 1,600 square foot for the cafe where only food odors and non-alcoholic beverages can, t- can take place with no cannabis consumption, um, a 2,000 square foot indoor cannabis consumption lounge, and an 1,800 square foot outdoor garden allowing cannabis consumption. John Leonard, who is the WeHo's community and legislative affairs manager, said to Eater LA back in 2019 that Lowell's essentially created two separate businesses on two separate premises by segregating the 
kitchen away from the consumption area. As for the artistry trying to work around these regulations, they teamed up with Kitchen 24 as a delivery food and beverage partner. However, let's not forget that no alcohol is, is allowed at any cannabis consumption lounge. When you get to the second floor, there's seating allowed either indoors or outdoors, as they do have an outdoor patio. They also have advanced ionized air filtration systems, which allows the smoke to be kept at a minimum. Customers are allowed to bring their own pipes and papers. However, if you don't have something to smoke from, you are able to rent a bong or vaporizer from the lounge. You can order your cannabis from a tablet detailing what is sold downstairs at the dispensary. Don't get too comfortable, though, as there is a 90-minute time limit at the lounge. They do have a performance area where they'll host yoga classes, live music, comedy shows, drag bunches, which they did on 420, and many more. The Artist Tree founders already have dispensary locations in Beverly Hills, Koreatown, and Riverside. There are 15 remaining cannabis consumption lounges scheduled to open in WeHo in the next few years, with Lowell's Cannabis Cafe planning to reopen later this year. Um, if you plan to visit Artist Tree, you can go to Open Table and reserve a table now. They're open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, and my name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Was it ever confirmed? Was it ever confirmed uh, that Lowell was shut down to that rumor about uh, a Simplex One outbreak spreading rampantly throughout the uh, the kitchen? I don't know about that, but the 90 minute wait, or, or the 90 minute max that you could be there, was a joke. Lowell did that too, and it took us 45 minutes to get a menu of the cannabis items that were available. Uh, it was, yeah, no, they wanted us to stay. Good, good morning. How do, you, how do you enforce 90 minutes, Shalina? Just like any other restaurant would enforce 90 minutes. Yeah, some restaurants are doing that. What's interesting is that when Lowell opened up, it was like insanely packed and you couldn't get a reservation. If you go on open table, it's super easy to get a reservation. Uh, also, yeah, I would... Shalina, just just for just for context, Lowell's uh, did not have a retail license. They were strictly only a consumption lounge. Yeah, you know, and one of the problems that I saw with Lowell is that they didn't understand. They hadn't worked out the corkage fee. And I went there and, of course, had a bunch of products. I was ready to order from the menu, but they wanted to charge individual fees of something exorbitant, like 100 bucks for everybody, for everybody at my table because they might be sharing in the concentrates I brought. And as you can imagine, the concentrates they had were boof. I went there early on. We had some partnerships with Lowell because we had common investors when we thought they were real. I candidly hope that it's not opened up under that brand and that somebody more worthy gets it. No offense, but that's just how I feel. And also to all those folks that are doing consumption lounges, there needs to be some accommodation for bring your own. Unless you are bringing fire and you have a true curated menu, you got to let people bring their own product. And yes, there should be a corkage fee. I don't know how to work that out. I haven't even solved it at our location. What we do at our, at our consumption lounge is as long as you're buying food, uh, you can sit at any of the tables and the cabana areas, like the little snugs, those you have to rent out per, per hour. Yeah, Guy, Guy, they called it a tokage fee, um, as I recall. And one other thing I think it's important to note just for the context of the story is that Lowell's never had any ownership in this lounge. Uh, they did a licensing deal to name the lounge the Lowell's Consumption Lounge as well as have Lowell's products available. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers a while ago, but they changed their name to the OG Cannabis Cafe when Lowell's pulled out because they they said in their agreement that they wanted to be the only pre-roll offered on, on the menu there, um, and that didn't happen, and that was one of the reasons why they pulled out. 
I hope they remember that first impressions are important. Uh, it was my first impression of that cafe was just awful. I mean, they handed us paper menus and by the time they got back to us we were already like freaking out because we they we weren't getting any cannabis and we wanted to order an item and they didn't have it and we're like what about this one oh no we don't have that either we i think we said jason you were there the three or four different items were not even available get some ipads and put them on the table immediately no i i I like the paper menus i i I do not want to order anything off of an ipad i i prefer paper menus at the same time too susan if they don't give you a rolling tray you can always use the menu just to roll up on make sure the items are available i'm all with that they had a lot of kinks to work out to work out in this uh when they first started and the city really helped them out tremendously as well um, and how they did this because any standalone consumption lounge technically has to operate as a restaurant, as with the cannabis being a secondary source of revenue for the venue. We're, we're running out of time. Let's get to Guy. Coming up to the stage next is Guy Record, this OG veteran and dope dad, known and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture. Always first to stand up for the rights of legacy operators, as you heard in the previous story. The co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley is coming to the stage next. What do you have for us this morning, Guy? Thank you, Jason. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Rico. Good morning, team. So today my article comes out of my alma mater, or at least the city where my alma mater is, Rochester. And it's basically titled, New, New Bill Gives Tax Break for Cannabis Dispensaries in New York State. So since we're short on time, basically, the legislators of New York have smartly decoupled 280E from their state cannabis tax. So just a few months ago, businesses were unable to deduct their deductions from their state taxes, but that's changing. Lawmakers decoupled 280E, which prohibits deductions from tax credits for businesses that sell controlled substances. Also in the article, there's a link that says New York pot sale permits will go first to people with convictions. I'm not sure if that's true. But anyway, Senator Jerry... Jeremy Cooney says that social equity has been the the goal. That's why legislation passed in the budget will allow marijuana businesses to deduct necessary expenses on their state taxes. Cooney says this measure mimics California's cannabis policies. So all in all, since we're short on time, you guys should definitely read this article. It's at least positive, and it's great to see New York as an emerging state is understanding the situation and the burdens that cannabis providers are under. And it's a great challenge, I think, for the feds to decouple your state regs from their ridiculous laws. So this is Guy Rocourt reporting from the nation's capital at the policy summit. Uh, I'm anxiously waiting in two minutes to see Gary Chambers drop real science on us. And uh, yeah, excited here at the nation's capital. I feel the push forward, Jersey, New York, California, Let's get this done. I know a lot of folks don't think we're going to get it done this year, but I've been patiently waiting, remain patiently waiting, but also hopeful that this could happen quicker than we think. Guy, I appreciate your optimism, uh, but I do think we're going to need to see uh, steps like New York is taking. I think states are going to have to do uh, take things into their own hands to really get things done because the feds aren't going to do it for them. No one else wants to weigh in on that. All right. Well, we've reached. Well, I, I think I think it's amazing that New York took this step. I hope California take, takes a similar step as well as other states, and uh, that is definitely something that I would definitely support. Um, any state that that has cannabis businesses involved to help uh, burden the, the tax burden, because we all know that's the biggest elephant in the room. Oh, besides the war on drugs, Jason. Yeah, t- yeah. It's the new now. The war on drugs is now the war on taxes. 
The war on drugs isn't over yet. The war on It's the new war on taxes, 4.20. Anyway, well, happy Friday, everybody. We've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through the headlines every day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show. And thank you to our pinup girl, Liz Rogan, but especially thank Thank you, audience, for being here and being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. You make our show news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that one. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye. Bye.